Also remember, keep praying for, of course, uh, Brother John Penix and the family. As you know, his dad passed away, went to be with the Lord. And uh, in the middle of all this now, his mom has COVID. And so they have to wait for all that to, all that to get through and so they be, can begin to make arrangements and, and have the service and whatnot. So certainly praying for John and his family um, as they are back there in North Carolina right now. But Acts chapter 9. We've covered through the first nine verses here, but we're going to pick up reading in verse 10, 10 down through 17. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into a street which is called Straight. And inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for, his, uh, 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 for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you for your word. I ask your blessing now upon the service. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and honored in all that's said and done. Please bless now, Lord. Please work. Control what I say and how I say it. Lord, I pray it would meet needs and draw us closer to you. If there is anyone here that does not know Christ as Savior, Lord, we do pray for their salvation. Lord, please work. I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, of course, we, were, we, we got into the conversion of this man named Saul, who had become one of the most important most influential, if not the most influential Christians that has ever lived um, on this earth. He truly became such an amazing man. We know he was on his way to Damascus. He was still the leader uh, uh, of Israel in, in squelching this movement of Christianity. We looked last week how he was murdering. He was putting people in prison. He didn't care if it was a, if it was a woman or a man. He was brutal. He was, he was obsessed. He was uh, passionate about it, he was going to stop this. And so now he was heading out of Judea for the first time, going to Damascus, and as he got close to the city, that was when the Lord appeared to him. The bright light hits, all the men that are with him are knocked down to the ground, the other men are disoriented, they hear a voice, but they can't distinguish words. Paul can hear it just fine. It is that of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul hears that voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Him responding, Who art thou, Lord? And, and, and he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And then we have Paul trembling. He's astonished. And the realization setting in. I've been wrong. I've been fighting against God, not for God. There are multitudes who, who when they come to know Christ, that, that, that moment has to occur. 
when they have to realize that the religion was not the answer. That in truth they were fighting against God, not for God. Paul has that moment right here. And then, of course, um, the Lord asked him, is it hard for thee to kick against the pricks? And then we see him calling him, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? So an important... Uh, and then, of course, he's led into Damascus at that point. And he spends the next three days and three nights meditating. He's fasting. He's not eating. He's not drinking. He is physically blind at this point. And I spent some time last week talking about those three days. How important those three days would have been. What was Saul thinking upon? I mean, here he is now. He's putting together, no doubt, all the Old Testament that he knows. This is the man that is incredibly intelligent. He knows the Old Testament. He has the first five books memorized as a Pharisee. And now he has the Holy Spirit indwelling him for the first time in his life. I mean, he's putting together what he knows of Christ with all those Old Testament prophecies and, and, and what is taking place. I believe also, too, he meditated much upon, with remorse, all the persecution that he has been doing, starting from the death of Stephen. Now, this morning in our text, we're going to see in what ways a life is transformed as the result of conversion. The truth is, as the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. We see that here with this man Saul in his life. The Christian life is a changed life. We live in a time, of course, when people truly do desire to change. They want something different. And they recognize the things that are harmful to them, and they want to change bad habits. I mean, head to a bookstore and look at the self-help section. Packed with books and people searching for answers. People looking for ways to change. People recognizing the things in their life that they want to let go of. They want change. But the answer is God. The truth is, we cannot genuinely change ourselves from inside or outside. We need help for that to work and to last. We can think of what the Bible says in verses like Proverbs 27, 22, or Romans chapter 7. The words of, of this man who's converted here later on. Who, again, I believe to be the greatest Christian who ever lived. He said this, The good that I would, I do not, yet the evil that I would not, that I do. Dealing with, with, with trying to change oneself, and just not having the strength to do it, even if the desire is there. But the, the, the power of transformation only comes through God and His gospel. We heard the testimony Sunday night of Daniel Solbeck. Brother, you hit the answer. It's the Lord Jesus Christ and His gospel. You stay with that. I remember even when he was there in the hospital, I don't think LeVon will remind me showing this, walking in here in the scripture playing. She was making sure he had Bible. A transformation occurred. I think of a man like John Newton. A man who lived a wretched life, full of sin. He worked on a slave ship for a time frame, capturing slaves, selling them in the New World. Eventually, he became his own captain of his own boat. And then, of course, facing a frightening storm, fearing for his life. Also, mix that with the reading about different 
testimonies of Christianity and Christians, it led to his conversion to Christ. And his life transformed. He really became a leader in one of the movements at a time frame the Lord was greatly working. Men like John and Charles Wesley, George Whitfield. On his tombstone, he wrote the words that would be on his tombstone. And this is what he wrote. John Newton Clerk. Once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slavers in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. That's the man who wrote Amazing Grace. The truth is, salvation transforms you. If you had no change after salvation... Listen to me. That's an enormous red flag. Something's really, really wrong. One pastor and, com- and commentator, I'm going to quote from him. Uh, he, he had talked about God's transforming power, I thought, in such a profound way. He said, The New Testament spells it out like this. The one who is dead in sins becomes alive to righteousness. The one who is ignorant of divine truth becomes wise in divine truth. The one who is insensitive to divine presence now tastes and sees that the Lord is good. The one who is blind now can see. The one who is in darkness is in the blazing light. The one who belonged to the kingdom of Satan belongs to the kingdom of God's dear Son. The one who did evil continually now finds the cry of his heart to do that which is good. The one who didn't even know what the questions were now has all the answers. The one who was bound for hell was bound for heaven. The one who hated God now loves God. The one who loves sin now hates sin. The, the rebel is now a son, the enemy now a friend. That's what happened when Christ comes into a life. He transforms. He transforms. So today in our text, we have this man, Saul. He is transformed. We're going to look at four areas that are given to us in our text, and we'll see these played out through the rest of his ministry, through the rest of his life, as we, as we follow his life through the book of Acts. I put these down in four areas. We're going to see as a new communion, a new course, a new commander, and new control. So let's dive into this this morning. First, we're going to see in the first couple of verses here a new communion. Let's look at verses 10 through 12. It says, And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him uh, said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. So here, to start off, they're introduced to, to a new man in the New Testament, this man named Ananias. We know very little about him. Obviously, a convert, a convert to the Lord that is getting ready to be used in a great way. We see him for a few passages, and he passes off the scene with not another word written about him. More than likely, just deductive reasoning, he was one of the leaders of, of, of one of the churches there in Damascus. So I want you to think about that. It's very likely that this man who the Lord's calling to go to Saul, that Saul probably had him on a list to get him. Think about that. He's one of his targets. 
But the Lord chooses Ananias for this important task, the discipleship of Saul. And I love his response. The vision comes, Behold, I am here, Lord. He was at a place where he was ready to hear and be obedient. The Lord knew he could go to him. He was ready. Are you at that place? Can God call on you when there is a need, when there's something that needs to be done, when there's a position that needs filled? Is, is the Lord, are you in a place where the Lord can direct in your heart? Or is it just so cluttered and so much busyness that it's just not there? But the, the Lord directs Ananias to the exact location where he would find Saul. He directed him to the street called Straight to the house uh, 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 of Judas. What's amazing is this street still exists today. It still exists today. I, I, I certainly love to see it walk in it. I would not like to be in Damascus currently right now. But nonetheless, if it was more of a peaceful time, I would love to see it. The street is about three miles long, still going from the eastern to the western gate. Obviously, it's straight, crosses the entire city in a direct line. And what they say is, by tradition, that near the eastern gate, and you can go visit this, near the eastern gate on this street is said to be this very house. And in there you can actually visit the room that, they, that is set up tradition where Saul was spent the three days praying. He tells them, listen, you're going to find him. When you go to this house, you're going to know it's him because behold, he prayeth. So that's what I want to focus on for this point. Now we see Saul has a new communion. There's a change. He now has a communion with God. Prior to this, he had one with religion. And, and, and really, he thought that was God. He thought he had a communion with God. But now he's seen for the first time. No, I didn't. Now I do. He used to pray these dead, formal prayers of a Pharisee, memorized. Because of his much speaking, because of his devotion, he thought God heard him. So often today, people have religion, but they don't have the relationship that's necessary to have access to God. He now has that relationship in place. Now his prayers are actually heard. It's no longer formal and dead. It's no longer about, uh, about the painstaking process of prayer that somehow appeases God to get him to answer you. Now the prayers are simply based on the relationship. When my children come to me, they don't have to go through some great, painful process for me to hear them. No. They're my kids. And, you know, and, God, and God loves me more than I love my own children. The basis of my communion with Him is because of the relationship that I have. Saul is now experiencing this for the first time in his life. The privilege of genuine prayer. This is one of the greatest aspects of our transformation, which helps with our transformation, that new relationship to God, and we have access to Him. As he, as he told Ananias, you're going to find Him, but guess what? And this is the Lord telling the converted man, He's praying. Behold, He prayeth. Again, at that moment of salvation, you think about that. God becomes your Father. That incredible privilege and responsibility of prayer is now yours. You could just imagine what, what Paul's praying here. I mean, you, you can just think about it. I can, I, you, know, you know, I thought, I sat back and thought about it. What would he be praying? One, I, I believe he'd be saying thank you over and over in tears. Thank you. 
he knows who he was and what he was doing. He has the faces of those he murdered that were Christians. That had come to the faith in Christ. Those who actually saw that Christ was in fact the Messiah. Those who were his, his, his brothers by blood. That he put to death. The families he split up and put in prison. The children where he put both mom and dad in prison. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Oh, these three days of prayer were different than anything he's ever had before. Now he's truly praying to God as his father. The next one, a new course. I'm going to combine two here. I'm going to combine a new course and a new commander for this. He has a new communion now with God, but we also see as a result of transformation of conversion to Christ, there is a new course and there's a new commander. <clears throat> Let's start there in verse number 13. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how uh, great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now with this transformation again, we see he has a new course, a new direction. He has a new commander in his life. We do learn some important things here also from Ananias that I want to touch on before I dive into that with Saul. Right here, once Ananias hears what he's instructed to do, amazingly enough, he questions God. God, wait, uh, wait, wait, Lord, Lord, wait a second. I've heard about this man. I, I mean, he's the leader. He's the one that's killing. He's the one that's putting in prison. He's afraid. Ananias should have grabbed hold of those words when the Lord said, Behold, he prayeth. I believe one of the reasons those words were given were the calm fears that would, that would, that would come up in the mind of Ananias. Charles Spurgeon said this of prayer. Prayer is the autograph of the Holy Ghost upon the renewed heart. An indication of conversion to God. That's what it is. He's telling, listen, this is, a, this is a different man now. But Ananias, of course, all the Jews, and, uh, uh, excuse me, all the Christians knew of Saul. He had a fierce reputation by this time. You can just imagine, so, so Paul goes to the Sanhedrin, the, the, the high priest gives the authority, the letters with him to go head out of Judea, go to Damascus, and yes, find Christians and imprison them. Now, remember, for them, he's traveling with a, probably a fairly large party is going with him. The enforcement group is with him. Word made it to Damascus before Paul ever arrived. Now, he probably took several days to assemble his team. Word spread. They're heading out. You know, and, and keep in mind, I dealt with this last week. There was a large amount of Jews that lived in Damascus. Probably as many as 20,000 or more. So when they fled from, from Jerusalem uh, due to the persecution, multitudes would have went to Damascus. Because that's where they knew people. That's where they had family. That's where they had connections. 
It was also a place they could find some work. And so word traveled there before Paul arrived. Again, it would take Paul and his group at least six days to get there with that size of a group. Others could probably get there in four days. So word made it in there. He's coming. He has authority. You could just imagine what's going on in the Christians' minds right now. What do we do? Do we leave? Do we pack? Now, I'd imagine some are even preparing to leave at this moment. And an eye is probably having meetings with different groups about what to do about this. So they're afraid. They don't know, should we hide? Should we flee? Do we wait it out? So Ananias here questions God as if God is unaware. So often we do that, don't we? We actually forget that God is all-knowing. He knows everything. As if God doesn't realize what's happening. And, and, then, and then a thought hits us as to why we can't be obedient, forgetting God already knows. You never have to be afraid to do the will of God. The fact is, God is in control. And we see here, and I'm glad he is with me. He, he's patient here with Ananias. It reminds me of Psalm 103. God remembers we are but dust. Just like he was patient with Moses, with Moses arguing with him. We do that all the time. I, I remember the fear hitting when God was calling me to New Guinea. Again, you've heard my text. I wasn't one of those jumping up and down. Yes. No. I grew up in Cleveland and I liked it. I never saw myself living in the jungle, ever. I mean, if I want to go visit for two or three days, if they have a hotel, a five-star hotel, I'm good with that. But just as I found out, I didn't have to be afraid to do the will of God. In other words, even though I, I, I did not understand why God would decide to call me there, I had to understand He's still God. Therefore, He knows something I don't. Even Pastor Roach in boosting my confidence that day, that, it didn't help one bit. He said, if I lined up all the men of this church, He'd be the last one I'd pick for New Guinea. I'm like, thank you. That, that's, that's really helping right now. But there are many times the Lord asks us to do things that we don't understand. You have a small picture of the puzzle. That's all you have. So what do you do? You take those Sunday school verses you memorize in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, and you actually use them. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. You trust in the Lord. We limit in our minds what, can, what God can do or will do. We should never be afraid to do God's will. Ananias argues with the Lord and gives the reasons why he is afraid to go and visit Saul. But again, the Lord had everything under control. And once Ananias hears that, he obeys by faith. When God commands us or directs us, you have to remember he is working. Don't forget that. He's working at both ends. 
And his way is always best and it's right, even if we don't understand it. Again, the time that I was doing, all, when I was back in the Air Force and all of a sudden the Lord is sending me, or the Air Force is sending me to Korea, I'm already on staff at this church, just let me out, stop paying me. Not understanding what was happening. Just had to trust the Lord. He knew what he was doing. <clears throat> so God, again, reassures Ananias. He shows us, he tells them, listen, i got news for you, Ananias. Saul has a new course. What you're telling me about, that was his old life. That was the old direction of his life. I'm giving him a new direction. A new calling, a new course, and a new commander. Paul's old mission is over with. He's now a chosen vessel. God is the Lord, God, the Lord Jesus Christ is now his commander, not the Sanhedrin. Now he says he will go to the Gentiles, to kings, and to Israel. He will be a witness for God. He'll be a man proclaiming the gospel now. And we see in Saul's ministry, as we're going to dive into it, Saul will preach to the nation of Israel first. He will head to the Gentiles. He will become the apostle to the Gentiles. He will be the key man in reaching the Gentiles. We're going to have, for the very first time, once we get into Acts chapter 10, somebody apart from the Lord Jesus Christ leading a Gentile to the Lord. The converted Jews were still confused at how the gospel, the message of Christ, the Messiah, related to the Gentile world. So it's not until Acts chapter 10, and we're going to see what the Lord had to go through just to get Peter to go to the guy's house. But from that point, the Lord's going to direct this man right here to be that apostle to the Gentiles. And the kings. We see it in Acts, we're going to see that, that he, he witnessed, of course, to King Agrippa. It's also thought, putting together two verses, we're not certain. There's no way we can be certain of it. But based on this verse and two other verses, one in Philippians, one in the book of Acts, that it's very possible that Paul even witnessed to Nero himself. This is a man with a new course. It's no longer about fighting against God. It's now about being a servant of God. Of Lord, whatever you want me to do, that's what I'll do. He had a new course. And this course would include suffering. And he did tell Ananias this. So listen, I will show him. This man who has been the persecutor, who has been putting to death, who has been separating families, he will suffer greatly. And when you read about the boss life, I mean, it is tough. Uh, look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He summarizes his Christian life. <laughs> Starting in verse 23. Let's get a glimpse of Paul's life and the suffering that he went through as a Christian. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. The max the law would allow. 
Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck at night and a day, and I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides these things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. And by the way, I bring this up often with the life of the Apostle Paul. Remember when he converted to Christ? It was in, there was, once he realized Christ was the Messiah, there was no hesitation. He knew what it would mean. He knew that would, it, would, it would mean the loss of his family, his friends. He, he, he would look foolish before his intellectual uh, crowd. The man who was, who was thought to be on, on pace to take over the main theological school of the day is now going to become one of the Christians. And don't forget, there, there's, it, we, we've had a reprieve in the United States of America, but there's always been that label on Christians, the Christians, as if they are the non-intellectual ones who don't understand. That's just coming back strong right now. And we're seeing churches trying to change to be like the world to get away from the shame and reproach that comes with following Christ. Listen, something's wrong if you're following Christ and this world thinks you're cool. We had our, we do have, by the way, we do have kind of this Wednesday our church's annual business meeting, and we, and we had the, we had the, the committee meeting this past week, and we were discussing different expenses, and we were joking about that and, and things we should change in the church, jokingly, of course. And I said, well, I need the church to pay for my new tattoos that we can get up there. I have the books of the Bible just listed right down my arm. That'd be pretty cool. What's sad is that this happens so so much today. <clears throat> But he would suffer, and he did greatly. The Lord took this man and transformed him. He changed his course, the direction of his life. The commander of his life is now the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation changes you. It should put you on a new course. It, regardless of what we're doing, regardless prior to salvation, there should be a whole new purpose to life once salvation occurs. The Lord could say of you, no, this was the way he was going. But then he met Christ. This is now his calling. It doesn't mean you have to change professions. It does mean it changes the purpose of why you're in that profession. Just like with John Newton, his life took on a new course, a brand new direction. The Lord changes your purpose. You know, I, I, you can think of that. Let, let me give you an example of a new course and a new commander. It was the very end of July when I went and talked with an Air Force recruiter. First time I'd ever talked with him. Now, I happened to have the ASVAB done from the end of my senior in high school. I remember what led to that, something was school. So I already, I already actually taken that, even though I really wasn't thinking military at all. My brother had just gotten back from two years in the Navy and got the GI Bill. I'm getting ready to college. I'm already set and rolled. I'm literally just a couple of weeks away from getting in the car and driving, and driving over to Chicago to go to college. And my brother comes back, and, and we're talking. He, I just have one brother. He's three years older than I am. 
And he said, he said, how much money do you have for school right now? I said, I, said, I don't know. I, I think I have 800 bucks. And he said, that's not enough. He said, you ought to consider hitting the military with the GI Bill. And so anyhow, I started thinking about, thinking about that that same day. And I said, you know, it was a Friday. I said, I'm going to go talk, I'm, I'm gonna go talk with uh, the Air Force. My brother went in the Navy. I don't crazy. Some of you guys went in the Navy. I mean, look at Bob now. Look what the Navy did to this guy. He can't even pick out a tie. So I, I, I went to talk with the Air Force, and, and of course, it was, it, was, it was a Friday, Friday afternoon at that, and he really sold me on it pretty good. And I was like, man, I like this. And I said, I, I said, I think I'll do it. And he told me how it works. He said, you'll leave. It's called delayed enlistment. You leave anywhere from three months to 12 months out. And then I changed my mind. I said, no, that's all right. I, said, I thought it would be more immediate. I said, what I'll do is I'll head off to my first semester, and I'll see how that goes. And, uh, and, and I left. Saturday morning, he calls me up. I don't know, 9, 10 in the morning. He calls up my house. He says, he says, listen, he goes, you can leave Monday. He goes, I'll get you out of here on Monday. He goes, but I got to know right now. Now, I am thinking this is about money for college. Now, the Lord, now I'm not going to get into that story. This is a whole, the Lord was protecting me from the college I was getting ready to go to is what he was doing. And, 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 and so my mom's not there and I don't have time to call the pastor. He says, listen, I got to know right now if you're going to do this, but you'll leave Monday in 48 hours. And so I just start praying and praying, and I said, I'll do it. And sure enough, I left Monday. Got on a plane, found myself in San Antonio, Texas, and guess what all of a sudden I found out? I had a new course and a new commander. All of a sudden, instantly, I had no problems getting up at 5 a.m. to run. Wait, this was the Air Force. I think that was 10 a.m. I'm not quite sure when we got up. <laughs> but I didn't. It was no problem at all. Because now, all of a sudden, I find myself, based on a decision, a commitment I made, I have a new course and a new commander. It's the same thing with the Christian life when you got saved. You have a new course and a new commander. Then lastly, we see new control, new power in his life. Look at verse number 17. And Ananias went his way, and he entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul. Imagine him hearing those words. The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And now we see a new control in his life, a new power that's there. So Ananias is obedient. He finds Paul in the house, and he finds him just as the Lord said, praying. There is now this humbled man praying. The first word Saul hears from another believer is this, Brother Saul. And then he feels his hand touch him. His sight is immediately restored. It's a moving scene what's taking place right here. And he tells him, I've come that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. He was to be filled with God's Spirit. 
The same man who this is taking place to right now, look at his, look, what he, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Look over in Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> this filling was about new control, power in his life. When it comes to the filling of the Holy Spirit, this is about our service before God. I'm going to read one other verse. Ephesians, you don't have to turn, Ephesians 1.1. 1, 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is the same man, Saul's name would change to Paul if you're not aware of that. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to who? The saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. This is a letter to those who are saved. They're converted. That's what they are. Now Ephesians 5. This is to those who are converted. And he, and he gives a, an example here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. He says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And of course, he gives an imagery there of a person who is drunk. And what happens when a person is drunk? What's controlling him? The alcohol is controlling him. It's affecting him. That, that's, it's, it's affecting his decision. He says, no, don't let anything else control you. It is God's Spirit that's to control you. And this is a command given to those who are already saved. In Acts 2, we have Acts 1, you have the Lord Jesus Christ telling them, you don't start ministry yet. You have to be filled with power from on high. And then Acts 2, we see they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Those who are already converted. In Acts chapter 4, once again, we see Peter, once again, filled with the Spirit. And each time, the same thing takes place. It's interesting. They preach the Word of God with boldness. Acts chapter 4, going later on that chapter, verse 31. Filled with the Spirit, preaches the Word of God with boldness. The filling of the Spirit is what gives power to our service. It's what gives the strength to it. The indwelling of the Spirit... That's for salvation. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. The same man, Paul, pinned these words in. Now, this was promised by the Lord Jesus Christ. Go back to John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, the indwelling of the Spirit. Verse number 9. They are, they are two different doctrines, two different things that take place in the life of a person. Verse number 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. There is no conversion apart from that. You can see that later in other verses, like 1 Corinthians 3.16, where we are the temple of God. God's Spirit indwells us. We have that. That's the indwelling of the Spirit. And then you are sealed by that, by that miracle unto the day of redemption. Sealed. Indwelled happens right at that moment of salvation. You're indwelled. The filling of the Spirit is for our service before God. And let me just say this, because I remember being taught this wrong as a, as a young Christian starting to serve God as a teenager. Being filled with the Spirit, how do we get under this control? Where that's who controls us. Where that is the moving influence in our life. 
Because clearly, as, as, as Scripture separates it, there is an indwelling, but that doesn't mean there's a controlling. There has to be something where we are filled with the Spirit of God. But I remember when I was first taught it and even believed it for a while, that it was some mystical, esoteric, ecstatic something that takes place. Where, I'm, I'm just going I'm, I'm I'm to pray for 39 days and it's going to hit. Know what it is? Just like you talk about Ephesians 5 and the simplicity that's there and that we see it actually taking place in Scripture. It's a yielding. It's a submitting. It's, it's, it's not me getting more of the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Ghost getting more of me. It's my yielding, my decision to submit to His will. So Paul here is going to have something new that's controlling him. It's no longer going to be his ambition. It's no longer going to be his passion for his religion. It's no longer going to be his passion for his nation. Now what's going to control him is being filled with the Spirit of God. That will be the new control in his life. So we have a man here that now has a new communion with God. The very first thing he does, he gets there and he's just praying. New communion with his Father. You can just imagine how sweet and the tears that were shed there. And then the Lord's going to give him with this transformation that takes place, a new course, a new commander in his life, with new control, the new motivation, the power that is behind it. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Now let me ask this question. Have you been 